came up to me and he said, hey, you want to start a goat farm with me? And I was like, yes, of course I want to start a goat farm. But I had no idea what we were getting into when we started this goat farm. They were so mean. You guys just saw how mean goats are. I have no, had no clue that they were going to chase me around my truck. Every time I drive over there and get out, there was this one really, really mean goat. He was a ram. And he would do that exact thing and just run up behind me. And I would have to just run circles around my truck. So finally, when we went over there, I would just roll my window down, grab my roof, and like just go right into the bed of the truck and not even like face this really mean goat because I'd end up like that every single time. It's a true story. And as we're talking tonight, we're in Psalm 23, 1 to 6, so I thought it would be fitting to look at some goats and how they behave, some sheep and some animals like that, because (laughs) Psalm 23 talks about sheep, and it talks about a shepherd. And so as I think about sheep, I realize why Jesus chose sheep to be this, like, illustration of us, right? Because we can be pretty mean, like, we can be pretty crazy to try to rally and get around, and so... Jesus has his job cut out for him, right? Luckily, he's Jesus. And whether there's good sheep or bad sheep, the Lord is a good shepherd. Either way, even when we're being bad sheep, Jesus is always a good shepherd. And that's what we're looking at tonight in Psalm 23, verses 1 to 6. So read with me uh, in Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Did you hear that part? Man. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You guys probably memorized that or heard that when you were like in VBS, like little kids in children's church. You've heard that probably your whole life if you've gone to church or been around church or even just watched TV. It's a famous passage from the Bible, and a lot of times we hear it and immediately we think a certain thing about it, but we don't always really know where it's coming from. There's a lot of rich history and culture behind this that helps us understand just what's actually being said in these verses. And I love that it starts off right away. It's very clear, right? David is writing this, King David, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Remembering that David himself was a shepherd. That's what he did. He was from a shepherd family. He grew up learning that. So he knows sheep pretty well. I bet he's been rammed a few times. He knows how sheep behave, and he knows what a shepherd's job is to keep those sheep in line. So as he writes this, when he's talking about the Lord, he says, he is my shepherd. He makes it so personal. And right away, he's putting Jesus as the shepherd, right? But he's looking to himself and saying, if if God's the shepherd, then I'm obviously the sheep. I need to be guided. I need to have someone around me to help me as I go down the path and look for food and and supplies for my needs. I need that because I must be the sheep if the Lord is my shepherd. When I was in Guatemala, I I got to like work with students there for a while. And my job this one year was to do a Christmas play. And I was like, okay, 
Christmas play. I'd seen them a lot in America. We always had lots of animals and like these kings with cool crowns and all this stuff. So we were going to go all out. But the only animals I had available to me were goats. And so I went to the local goat guy, Shepherd, and I was like, hey, bro, I need to borrow your goats. And he's like, what? What do you want to do? And I was like, I want to bring them to church. And he's like, have you lost it? Like, are you supposed to bring students to church and trying to bring goats to church? Like, he thought I was crazy. I was like, no, I need them for my Christmas play. And he said, okay. And he got this little smirk. And he's like, you can use my goats, but you got to get them to the church. I was like, oh, <laughs> wait, are you sure you can't just like Uber them over? Like, there's no way to get them there. Uh, he's like, no, you got to get the goats there and you can use them and you have to bring them back. All right, so here I go. I'm pulling out my best shepherding skills. I had never worked with goats before, other than they used to, like, in the morning, he'd walk by this dorm where I lived, and all his goats would, like, knock on my door with their nose and wake me up at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, it made me so mad. But I had to get him to church. So I go to these goats, and he gives me some pointers and some tips, and you have to walk in front of the herd. Not like you saw that one dude do when he got plowed twice, right? you got to kind of like walk out in front, and they follow you. And you usually bring food, so they want to follow you. And he taught me like these little whistles he did and stuff. Made them feel comfortable, and they just followed me all the way to church. I was like a pro. I, I roll up to church, and everybody's like waiting outside, and they're watching me and walking with all my goats. Duh, duh, duh. I felt like a superhero. It was like, it was like one of those slow motion walks, you know, and the goats are all behind me like, do, do, do. Anyway, I have a weird brain. So we get to the church, right? And we do this awesome drama. The goats do their thing, and I bring all the goats back. We get back to church from that to finish cleaning up. Man, right in the doorway, there's one last goat I had lost. And this little teeny goat is just standing there all by himself. Luckily, he didn't get run over or like eaten or something like that. And he's right there in the doorway. And I'm thinking, I got to do this all over again. So I'm like, I'm going to do this smart, do it the American way. I grab a rope. I had walked a dog before, wrapped the leash around his neck. You know, I was like, I made a leash. And I start walking him as if he's a dog. And you know what he does? All four hoofs, like, poof, right in the ground. He's like, ah. So his little butt is, like, just dragging, like, mopping the sidewalk as I'm, like, pulling him, and he's pulling back, and we're getting absolutely nowhere. It was the most miserable night. Remember all those people that were applauding me as I walked into town with the goats? They were laughing so hard at me because here I am doing tug-of-war with a goat that was only, like, this big. It was so embarrassing. I should have picked him up. I was afraid he was going to pee on me, so I didn't do that. So, who knows, right? So I get this goat. I get back finally to the shepherd. I think I just kind of just stood behind him, kept booting him like this until he got there. Don't call PETA on me. But I got him back, and the, the shepherd saw me coming up like the hill to where he like kept his goats. He just started laughing. He's like, you can't walk a dog like a goat. He's like, that's all he did. That little goat perked right up and went straight over to that guy like it was a dog, like just perfectly trained He knew the whistle, he knew the guy, he knew what he smelled like, and he knew that was his shepherd, and he immediately just went, I just dragged that little turkey all the way across town. You know, I didn't know it was that easy. But the difference was, he trusted him. He knew him. That was his shepherd. I wasn't. He knew I didn't know what I was doing. He knew I probably would have cooked him up with some mint yogurt and would have been delicious. You know, one of those put a little ranch dressing on him. I would have been happy, right? This guy loved him. This guy was going to protect him and feed him. And so when he heard his voice, he trusted him. And immediately it was just like, he goes right over there. I love that David points this out. The Lord is my shepherd. Not just the shepherd, 
not just a shepherd. He's my shepherd. He knows his voice, right? Trusts him. He has a relationship with God. John 10, 11 to 15, I'll read it to you. Tells us that he's not just a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. It says, I am, Jesus is talking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired, a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, he sees the wolves coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I, Jesus says, am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And listen to this. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Like, a good shepherd will protect at all costs his sheep. It was his job. It was his livelihood. They were, in a lot of cases, more than just sheep to him. Cared about them. So much so that he put his life on the line to protect them. And as David points to the Lord, he says, he is my shepherd. And Jesus reaffirms it by saying, I'm not just a shepherd. I am a good one. I'm willing to put my life down for you. I'm willing to go to a cross for you. That's how much I love you. So when you hear my voice, you can trust me. When you hear my voice, you know that as I call you, that I care about you. And so David goes on and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, he says, I shall not want. And literally, he's saying that there is nothing he will ever need. He won't go without. Like, God knows exactly what David needs. And so God's going to give David exactly what he needs. Just like a shepherd would. He'd be a terrible shepherd if you, like, starved your sheep or let them just die of dehydration, right? Like, you feed your sheep. You give them water. You want them to be healthy and to grow. And that's what Jesus promises to us. And David knows that. David knows that the Lord has promised him. And so he will not have want or need. God will take care of his needs. Now, sure, we've probably heard that a million times. We've seen it on coffee mugs and t-shirts and whatnot. We've probably quoted the verse. But do you really live like God's got all your needs taken care of? Do you really wake up in the morning facing some of the stuff you all face? And I know some of those things are big. Do you face those problems and those situations and say, God has this under control? He's a good shepherd. He loves me. He promises to take care of my needs. I'm not going to have want today. And the troubles look big today. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm waking up and it's like, holy cow, there's a lot of troubles facing me. But God has all of it under control. Do you really believe that? Do you make your decisions that way and, and wake up in the morning looking to Jesus with trust? I shall not want, he says. And then he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, before I explain this next part, I recruited a real shepherd uh, to give us a couple minute 
lesson on what this actually means. So we're going to watch a video on what it means to make a sheep lie down in green pastures. <laughs> He's hugging her. Look <laughs> at her belly. So he gives us two options of how we can interpret this. And I actually think, as I read this passage, that David might have meant both. <laughs> I don't know that I'm always, as I read this passage and envision my walk with Jesus, I'm not always the guy who's just laying down because I'm rested and I'm at peace. I hear it as when this shepherd has to come and Jesus has to be like, Rob, this is good for you. I'm going to make you rest in me. I'm going to slow you down. I'm going to shock you. I'm going to do something you're not going to like. <laughs> Just like the sheep had to have baking soda and all that stuff and get thrown on the ground. Like sometimes I feel like Jesus really needs to do that to me. He needs to get my attention and be like, you're going to chill right here. You're not healthy. You're not doing well. But I'm your shepherd and I love you and I want to heal you. And it's in those moments sometimes that I get mad and I want to fight back. <laughs> like, God, why are you doing this to me? It's almost like I just want to blame him because I think this is an atrocity, what you're doing to me, God. Why would you do this? 
but really, he has my good in mind. As he's laying me down, and, and he's like, you need to heal. I need to fix you. I'm broken, and you're sick. And I don't know how often you might feel that way with the Lord. But before you immediately get in this situation where you feel like God's just got you pinned down and you're so mad at him, and you just want to blame him for the things going wrong, maybe it's not that things are going wrong. Maybe the Lord has your good in mind. Maybe he's making you lay down. And he's working on you. As you struggle and you flail and you get upset and he's working on you. And the time will come when you realize, that's my shepherd. And he's good. And he loves me. And if he's doing this, it's because it's for my good. And praise God for the moments where we can just lay down because we're, we're believing. We're trusting. And we're at peace because we know he's watching over us. And so we can lie down calmly in this pasture of our own free will. But there's those moments where God has to make us. And some of you guys, I feel like that's where you're at tonight. That's what you bring to this place. You're in this wrestling match with God, and he's trying to wrestle you to the ground, and you're ticked off at him. Like, why is this so unfair, Lord? I want to challenge you to look at that and say, is it it that he's working on me? Because he loves me? And he's got my good in mind. The next thing it says here, It says that he leads me beside still waters. And that goes right along with what we just saw. He wants to take care of our needs. God wants to provide for you. He knows the moments our souls are thirsty. He knows the moments where we're just like, I don't know what to do from here. And he's like, here, let me me quench your thirst. Let me worry about this moment. Let me just be here with you. Let me provide for you. It's awesome to be able to sit with a God who cares that much. He restores my soul. I looked this phrase up, and it's in the original language, it's used a lot to mean the word repentance. When your soul is restored, you're actually, you're repenting, you're turning around, you're being completely changed. Your soul is revived and brought back to life. This is the goodness of the pure water that God is giving us, his truth and his love. He just made us drink from this pure water, and all of a sudden our souls are restored. It's amazing how God's truth can cause your heart to come to life. It can wake you up from lies that you've been telling yourself and like how you've envisioned your life to be and you kind of put yourself in this filter and you're like, man, I'm so mad. I'm in my own bubble. All I can think about is myself and my troubles and God comes along. He's like, all right, lay down. Drink some truth. Let me open your eyes and your bubble starts to pop and you start to see what's true, and you start to get born to the truth and repent of, man, I have been living, God, on my own accord. Like, I'm just doing my own thing. I've needed you to wrestle me to the ground, to show me truth, and to cause me to say, Lord, you've brought me back. (laughs) You've restored me. 
You've caused me to turn away from this brokenness that I was just trapped in and walk a totally new direction and just follow Jesus. Like the same direction he's going in to start looking like him because I'm following him. And he restores us in this way with his truth and it nourishes our souls and it causes this relationship that we have with him to grow. That's what good food and water does. It causes us to be healthy and to grow. And he spiritually does that for us. So our faith builds and our trust in him builds. When we hear his voice, we go, yes, I'm coming. I'm coming. I know that voice. I know that's my shepherd. I had this, one of, I told you about our goat farm. Well, we didn't have all bad goats. We had this one goat, it was my favorite. And we named it Cappuccino. <laughs> because it was like this creamy brown and it had this like really dark beard. It looked kind of like a cappuccino. I don't know. It was weird, but that's what we called it. And uh, Cappuccino got sick. She, um, she got pregnant and she lost her little goats and got this like parasite. And she was like really skinny and was about to die. And so I would have to go every day and I have to take this little dropper of like of antibiotics and give her antibiotics every day. And the vet was like, she's probably not going to make it, but this is the best you can do for her. Like, she was real bad. Every day I'd go. And then I'd just sit with her, you know, because I'm like, I'm like an animal freak. Like, I like to sit with animals. I love animals. And I was just sitting and I'd pat her and, uh, and just spend time with her and give her little drops and feed her food, like, from my hand. And, um, and she made it. Like this goat makes it, and she starts to get chunkier, you know, and stronger and starts to be able to walk around and then starts playing with the other goats. Eventually, she got pregnant and had a whole bunch of goats. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> but there was this cool, like, bond between her and I after that that we wouldn't have had if I hadn't shown up every day and given her medicine and taken care of her, ate the food out of my hand. Like, that was all part of it. It's part of this process of us growing closer. And I'd show up, and Cappuccino would be the first goat other than that stupid mean goat that hit me all the time. She would run right out and, like, want to just, like, kind of snuggle up to my leg, and I'd pat her, and she'd, like, do circles around me. Like, it was awesome. It was like having a dog, uh, but it was stinkier, kind of. Brady stinks, too, but uh, <laughs> it was a relationship that was built because I had to take care of her. And sometimes those moments that we so want to just be like, I hate this moment, God. Why would you ever lead me into this? Is the very moment that God uses to pull you closer to him. We don't like them. We don't like those moments. They're uncomfortable. They don't feel good. They're not ideal. But God uses them to be like, hey, in this moment, I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to take care of you. And it actually causes us to trust him more and grow closer to him as he restores our soul. Then it says this, it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, you obviously know that a big part of shepherding, if we saw, is like leading sheep down different paths so they can get to where they can graze and eat the right foods and things like that. And it's no different with what the Lord's trying to do to us. He wants us to follow Jesus on the right path to, to become like Jesus. And Jesus has shown up to lead us down these paths of righteousness, to walk toward truth. When everything else in the world is trying to convince you that it's true and it's just a big lie. 
Now, you could just pick a thing today. There's so many flavors of lies out there for you to grab onto that seem really valiant. They seem like they're standing up for people or in front, you know, the marginalized or whatever. There's all these different causes that are just lies. And Jesus shows up and he's like, I'm going to show you truth in the middle of all these lies. And I want you to follow me toward the truth and not just for you, but for something even bigger than you. For his name's sake, it says, because God gets glory from being a good shepherd. From being absolute truth that never changes, who's always constant, who's always there for you, who will always look out for you and protect you and provide for you. Even though the world wants to tell you he doesn't exist, he's not there, he doesn't care about you, he's this big mean God in the sky telling you not to have fun. Lies. As he himself is telling you, I'm, I'm your shepherd. I'm doing this because I love you for the glory of his name. Then David says, even though, now check out these two words because like, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of even though moments in my life. Those moments that are like, maybe they're even seasons in our lives that we go through things where it's like, yeah, I get that. Like, I love the Lord and I know he loves me, but... Why would he let this thing happen? And we're about to see that, right? Because David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So those moments of valley, those even though moments are going to show up when you're like, God was there and I trusted him through all these things. But this now, this is too much. He can't be in this, surely. How is he a good God if he let this person that I love so much pass away? How is he a good God if he lets this person I love so much get sick and I have to see them in the hospital? Or for me to lose this in my life or have this happen, like you, you list the thing. We've all got them. There's a lot of even though moments where we get to this valley and we're like, surely God isn't here. <laughs> he can't be in the valley of the shadow of death. Look at it. It's terrible. God can't be there. I don't know what you do in your even though moments, but David wants to encourage you. He's there too. Because look what he says about this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know when like the storms come across the horizon of your life, you can see them coming, right? The bad times and you like start to already get anxious about it because you know they're on their way. Maybe that depression or anxiety starts to seep in because you're like, oh no, David says the word through. I walk through. I love that. Because you ain't staying there. We're not staying in the valley. We're not setting up camp and saying we're going to live in this dark, horrible moment, this crisis that's happening in my life, and this is where I'm stuck forever. But you know what? That's what I say every time it comes. I feel like I'm going to be stuck here forever. There's no getting out of this. This is such a terrible thing. I don't see a way out. And David reminds us that Jesus, our shepherd, our good shepherd, is walking us through. <laughs> There's hope on the other side, and he's leading us toward it. Right? We're going down this path of righteousness, and as we're going down following Jesus toward truth, storms come. 
moments, even though moments show up. And it's like, man, I'm stuck here. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. Come on. Keep following. We're going to get through it. There's going to be hope on the other side of this. Don't stop and just sit down and stay in that moment. Look through to the hope that Jesus is leading you to. Through the valley. And then it says shadow of death. That's the name of the valley, right? Could have easily just said, hey, uh, I walk through the valley of death. Straight up. Like this is the valley of death. That's what it feels like. But a shadow, shadow is not real. The shadow is the projection of the real thing, right? If I hold my hand up in front of this light and I make a dog back here, you see my little dog I'm making kind of? It's deformed, whatever, but it's a dog. That's not a real dog. That's not even my hand. It's just a projection. That dog's not going to bite you in case you were scared. Can't bite you. It's not real. That hand can't slap you or hit you because it's, It's not my real hand. It's just a shadow of the thing. The horrible moments that you and I get so worried about and we're sitting in the middle of, we want to call them death. You're like, this is it. I'm done. Like, this moment, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. And, And the Lord looks at us and says, it's just a shadow. It can't hurt you. You know why? Because Jesus faced the real thing. Jesus faced death for you. He went to the cross for you. So death can't scare you anymore if you believe in him. It can't get you. It's just a shadow. It's not the real thing for you. Jesus faced the real thing and he kicked its butt and he beat it and said, no, I'm giving you eternal life and you will live forever. Death has no claim on you. It's just a shadow. Don't be afraid of it. All those moments in your life, all those even though moments, those storms, you can look at them and say, you're just a shadow. Get as dark as you want. Get as stormy as you want. Blot out the sun if you feel like it. But I know you can't hurt me because Jesus has already taken care of you. All you're trying to do is scare me, but you can't hurt me. I love that. And then he leads us through and we get to the other side of that valley and there's hope. I, know, I think some of you guys are in a valley tonight. I think you come here and you feel that depression that is weighing on you. And it feels dark, like you can't see your way out. It's foggy. I want to remind you it's just a shadow. If you trust Christ, it can't hurt you. It's not the real thing. He's already faced it. He's already beaten it. There is a way out. Just keep walking toward the voice of your shepherd. If you can't see it, just listen for it. And just keep walking toward Jesus as he calls you. He wants to give you hope. And so David says, because of that, he says, I, I will fear no evil. I got nothing to fear. Because I've chosen to have faith in Jesus instead. I know that Jesus is faithful. He deserves me to put my trust in him because he proves it over and over and over again. Now, notice he doesn't say that all evil will just disappear. There will be no evil in your life. He doesn't say that. He says, I will fear no evil. The evil's coming. The shadows are guaranteed to show up. 
But when they do, you don't have to be afraid. You have hope to look back at them and say, Jesus has already beat you. I'm just going to keep following his voice. And here's why. And he says it to us plainly. I love it. He just says, for you are with me. That's why he doesn't have to fear. Because the presence of God is there in his life. I remember when I was a little kid, I went camping. My dad always took me camping and in the woods. It was just like a thing. We, I loved going with him to like the woods. And we were camping and there was this one night that we had to walk back to like this one area from our camp where our car was parked. And it was like this long, just like woodsy, like all trees and super dark and lots of creepy noises. And about halfway through the walk back, I am just out of my mind, scared, thinking we're going to get eaten by a bear, bit by a snake, something's going to happen. And I just felt this big old bear hand and my dad just grab my hand, squeeze it, and just keep me walking. I can still remember what it felt like, not just in my hand, but in my heart, knowing my dad's here. He's got me. He's got me. I don't have to be afraid. He's got my back. And you see, that was him reassuring me. Rob, I'm right here. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be here with you. Just his presence allowed me to not be afraid. And David says, I don't fear evil because I know you, God, all-powerful God of the universe, you're with me. You're on my side. You have my back and you love me. I don't have to fear. And then he, he uses these two instruments. Because remember, David was a shepherd, right? And he knew how to use like the, the things shepherd used, shepherds used. And so he points these two out. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're like, how could a rod and a staff comfort you? That is the weirdest image, right? Until you know what they are. See, a rod was used to protect sheep from predators. So as the wolves would come in to pick off their, like, dinner, that rod was used to beat that wolf down and protect the sheep. And so the, the sheep didn't have to worry because they were like, there's a shepherd, and he's got a big old rod. Like, there's no way that wolf is getting in here against the shepherd. I've seen him play cricket, and he can really hit that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And then a staff. Have you ever seen a shepherd's staff? It's got that big hook on the end. And so you see it like in, in comedies, like there'll be a play and someone will be out talking too much. So this shepherd's hook, like uh, staff will come out and like hook him and pull him off the stage, like get off there. And that's basically what it did. It would grab the sheep like that. And so when a sheep would get too close to like a ledge, a dangerous area where the shepherd couldn't even really walk out onto. He was too heavy or too big. He could use his staff to go and hook right around that sheep and just pull him back to safety. It was used to, to count sheep, to make sure they weren't lost. They would use it to count them, and it was used to grab them and pull them out of danger. So when David sees these images and thinks about the Lord as his shepherd, he's telling us that there's nothing that can get you that he won't protect you from. And even when it's you putting yourself in danger on that ledge, he's got a staff. He's not just walking around beating everything with a rod. He's also got a staff. And he can reach out, pull you from your own danger of your own making back into safety. He's coming after you. And sometimes I picture God and I'm like, man, you just let me kind of, I don't know why he doesn't, just like I made my own mess. <laughs> 
So you should just kind of like leave me in it and let me pay for it and learn my lesson. But he's so good, he doesn't even do that. He's so good and loves us so much, even in those situations where we've made our own problems, which is most of the time, if we're honest, he's got his staff to grab Rob Jones and pull him back off the ledge out of my own junk and mess and danger, and he pulls me back to safety because he loves me. When I wander off and he recognizes as he's counting with that staff that I'm gone, you know what he does? He goes after me. He doesn't just let me go and say, well, maybe he'll come back someday. He goes after me. And he pulls me back to the flock. That's a lot of love. That's how much he loves you. And he ends by saying this. He uses one more picture. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And he, he brings us to this battlefield, like in our minds, right? Picture this battlefield, this battle is raging, and all of a sudden, this one king just sets up a tent and makes this huge feast, and all his soldiers can just come start eating in the middle of a battle. Arrows are flying by, people are running, swords are clinging, and we all just sit down and just start eating. Like a feast, a full-on feast. It almost seems like crazy, like you guys must be out of your minds, you're going to get killed. But they're able to sit. He's like, I'm able to sit at this table in the middle of this war and just eat at my king's table because I know he's protecting me. I feel that safe that even in the middle of a battle, for you, I don't know what battle it might be you're sitting in the middle of tonight, what battlefield you're on, but he wants to set this table out and say, even in the middle of it, you can trust him and rest in peace there. Eat at his table. Know that even in a terrible situation, he's protecting you. He's got your back. And it's not just a little feast. I mean, he says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You're literally like the luxuries of being as if it wasn't even a war. You get to refresh me by washing my hair with this oil. And, and my cup is never going to go dry. It's just going to keep getting filled up. Like we're going to just eat and drink until we just can't anymore. Because that's who your God is. You ever feel like you pray and you pray and you're like, God, how come you don't answer my prayers? Like God doesn't really want to give me anything. Because I keep asking and it, I don't get it. Like he doesn't show up. So... And sometimes you get to this place where you're like, God doesn't really want to answer my prayer. He doesn't really want to give me these things. And really what he wants is for you to trust him and he wants you to sit down at the table and say, God, you'll give me what's good for me. And you'll give me so much of it, I won't even be able to take it all. The blessings are going to overflow when I actually surrender to you and sit at the table and just trust you and stop trying to tell you what I want and what my life should look like. But instead, I sit at your table and eat the food you put in front of me and drink what you put in my cup. And you say, God, whatever it is you want for me, that's it. That's where I am. And when you do that, the blessings will overflow. And it can happen in the middle of the worst time of your life. If you will just sit at his table, if you will just trust him, and in his promise is this, surely, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Your promise, our promise, if we trust in Jesus, is bigger than any earthly thing you could desire. The thing you keep putting on your prayer list and you keep bringing to God and he keeps saying, not right now, not right now, and you get frustrated. He's given you something so much better. And if you've trusted in him, you're sitting here tonight holding salvation in your heart. You have the promise of eternal life in heaven. There's nothing better, nothing greater than knowing you will live forever. You get to see your maker, your creator, and be with him for the rest of eternity. And yet we want to come back and say, but God, I really wanted this car you never gave me. It's going to break down in a couple months. I really wanted that big house, or I really wanted to date that person, or I really wanted this. Or... And he's like, you, you seriously want to trade this, you know, heaven, eternity, for that? And so often in our hearts, that's exactly what we do. Because we make this such a big deal, and we forget the goodness and mercy of being able to dwell with God forever. There's nothing better than that. And when you can look at death and go, I'm not afraid of you, then you know you're trusting in a good shepherd. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Some of you guys are going through that even though moment tonight and there's a storm. And I just want to ask you for the next couple seconds and as we sing this next song together, would you just ask the Lord to just kind of bring those things to your mind? What are the things you're saying, Lord, I can't trust you with this. It's too big. It's too scary. Would you ask God, just say, show me what those are so tonight I can give them to you and I can trust you in those moments? I'm tired of trying to carry them myself I am ready to let God take those things just ask him God show me what those are